Well, it's good to see you all. And I hope you feel the same way after this sermon. (laughs) You will find sermon notes in your order of service. Are you turning to them? Please turn to them. All right. The first two pages are okay. And I'm going to go back to that. Then I want you to turn over and see the third and fourth page. I hope to get through the third page. (laughs) The fourth page, I'm going to advertise now, will come on August 28th. A lot of this is uh, really a confession of my soul, a uh, statement of uh, the apologetic that I was trying to do in my entire ministry. An apologetic in theological terms is not an apology, as we use the word, but a defense of what we believe, a defense of Christianity interpreted in new ways. That's it, what I've been trying to do for 50 years. The first two pages, well, turn to the fourth page. And you see that little circle on top of the bell? That's a designation of our ego, which is simply the Latin word for the pronoun I. The first two pages is going to deal with your ego. Because that's what we operate on most of the time. Our story, the thing when somebody says, who are you? You babble out a few things to try to explain to who you are. But my friends, we live, and most of our life is directed far deeply below our ego. But ego holds on and creates the wastelands that Jim read about and that are pictured on our front cover. The dry land of a desert where even trees dry up and die. If we just live from there, that's what our life will be like. We have to learn to live at a deeper place which is free to us and makes lots of troubles go away And I've been trying to say that to every person who's ever listened to me over the 50 years. One of the things that an old friend of mine said, if everyone who ever listened to Carl Johnson laid down on the pews end to end, they would have been much more comfortable. So with that warning, let's begin. (laughs) Having a personal understanding of what your purpose is in life helps you live a happier and more fulfilling life. And so these first two pages are about... uh, advice that I've gleaned from a lot of different people 
but mostly I, I get this from Dr. John Maxwell. But let me first of all give you these statistics. 23% of the people in our country who were asked these questions, the question was, what do you want out of life? 23% of the people did not know what they wanted out of life. Of those who said they knew what they wanted out of life, they did, let me see, 43% of those who said they knew something they wanted out of life, or asked that question, didn't know how to get it. And then 31% knew what they wanted, knew how to get it, but didn't want to pay the price to get it. Because getting what most of us want out of life is really difficult. If you're watching the Olympics at all, you see what the people, the men and the women who win medals or even compete at that level have paid the price and how much they have to give to one thing. There's only 3% left. And those people that we watched at the Olympics are in the 3%. Who know what they want out of life, know how to get it, and are willing to pay the price to get it. So you can't sit around saying, oh, I don't, I don't have this and I don't... You have to, if you've got something you want to get out of life, you have to motivate yourself to get there. And so let me give you a few hints about it. All right? That's what we're going to do. Number one, the value of a purpose. A purpose will motivate you. That's what you write in there. Will motivate you. What does it give you when you're motivated? A great purpose in life. Number one, it will deepen your experience of being alive. It will deepen your experience of living. Two, it will make your work play. Abraham Maslow, with whom I studied the Maslow hierarchy of needs, which I've given to you before, said the happiest people he's ever met are those people whose work is play because it's expressing something inside themselves. Okay? Number two, a purpose will help you keep your priorities straight. If Bill Clinton had taken his marriage vows seriously, we would rank him higher in our estimation of a president than we do. Are you with me? If you establish your priorities and you incorporate them into your life, you've already made decisions about issues that will come up for you. Having a purpose and understanding it where it will lead you 
will help you keep your priorities straight. Number three, a purpose will help you develop your potential as a woman or a man. You will become a better human being if you become really driven to be excellent at one thing or two things in your life. Or as a woman. Okay. Martina Navratilova said, do not play tennis for the moment of victory. That's not why I play, because the moment of victory is so short. I play for what playing tennis has done for me inside. Understand that? Find your purpose. Live it out. Okay. Where, where am I? Number four. A purpose will enable you to endure the storms of life. When difficulties come into your life, you will have an anchor as to what you're about. And no matter what else happens to you, that will keep you moored so that when you need to sail away, you will sail away whole. All right? There's a, I love the statement at the bottom of the page, and this came from Dr. Maxwell. Problems and pain are inevitable, but misery is an option. <laughs> there are people who hold on to those storms that have hit them and sent them, wrecked them on the shores of life, and they hold on to that, and that becomes the place they live. And when you meet them, you walk away because there's so much misery draining out of them. Realize that you have options about your feelings, whether it happens to you, I mean, no matter what happens to you or not. You have control of how you deal with what happens to you. It's your business, not anybody else's. Okay. A purpose number five. I'm, I've just turned the page. A purpose will help you evaluate your progress on life. Nobody gets on a plane with a pilot who says, oh, I'm going east. But I would like to wind up in New York. Oh, well, maybe we'll wind up there. Hello? You got to know where you're going to go with your life. Where are you going? What direction will you take? Now, this is not age limited. Don't tell me because so many of us are <clears throat> very senior. <laughs> this still goes on with me. Because my purpose in life has been, I only have one gift in life. And that's the capacity to synthesize different thought forms and have them make sense for me, and then I inflict them on you. <laughs> that is, I can take a philosophical statement 
and a theological statement and a psychological statement and weave them together to create a meaning, a new meaning for myself. And that's what you get with me. Now, that's the only thing I'm really good at. I, I take great ideas from great thinkers, but I'm not an original thinker. I'm an original, original weaver of thinking. Okay? Uh, I don't claim... I will never write a book or something because I've stolen so many really good ideas. <laughs> but I want to share them with you. Okay. How do you find your purpose? Ask yourself a very direct and simple question. Do I have a purpose in life? That's how, you, that's how you start. To find what it is, to find your personal purpose, you can ask these questions. What can I do well? Those are your talents. Joan, I'm so glad you discovered singing because you've shared that talent with us so, for so many years and you have a beautiful love. And now you have your daughter-in-law singing with you. It's wonderful. So that, part of Jones, is to give this loveliness of music. Because music transports you. Okay. What do I want to do? These are your desires. So write desires in there. What do I do well? This is, where do I get results? Where do I get results when I'm doing something? If you make a great apple pie and everyone says, oh my God, this is good. Where did you get this? And you say, I made it. You're getting good results. So where do you get good results? And then the next one is tied to that. What do others think I do well? You need to get feedback. And so when somebody says your apple pie is really good, they're giving you feedback that you really do that well. Most people don't do it as well as you're doing it. So take that seriously. And then what do I have an opportunity to do? Well, these are the circumstances of your life. Right now, I used to be a decent football player. I could run the 40-yard sprints quite well, but ask me to run around the track five times, and I would have pains and be winded. And so if I ever had to run a 5K... I would probably die halfway through it. Hello? Those circumstances I will never put myself into. And now that I watch professional football, I would never do that again. Those guys are so big and so fast and so well coached, it's just another game. We used to, when we played football, it was like glorified sandlot football. 
Anyway, it got me to college anyway. <laughs> and then fulfillment. What do you enjoy do, doing is fulfillment. What makes you feel full as a person? I know that my wife Barbara, and I'm speaking for her, or she's here somewhere, and it's going to be okay, Barbara. <laughs> her purpose has been to be a mom and a grandma. And she's done a beautiful job with her son. And now I see that what we're doing with our grandson and, and our granddaughters, who have purposes. One son, per, grandson, Paris, is trying to become a professional baseball player. At 19 already, if any of you know about sports, he's already had Tommy John surgery on his elbow. But he's still at it, and he got a baseball scholarship to some college in the Midwest in Kansas, of all places. So he's following his dream, which we have urged him to do. He's following what he wants to do, and it's going to make him a better man, even if he collects experiences that make him a healthier personality along the way. And so, your purpose will help shape you, even though you don't come for, you know, you don't wind up in the place you think. So, number two, under what your purpose ought to do. It should be a life-changing goal or a life-changing conviction about something you need to do. So write down four things that you would, worth, would be worth your dying for. Now, I wrote down four things. And you don't have to write them in there. That's for you to write what you would be willing to die for. I wrote down four Words that begin with F. First of all is, I'd die for my family, for any member of my family, or for a friend. Jesus said, no greater love than this, than a person lays down their life for a friend. And for my faith, I am willing to die for that, and for freedom, to defend the freedom and stuff for our country. That, you pick out yours. But we know men and women who have died for our freedom uh, throughout our his country's history. So a goal should also be helpful to others. That's the number three on the second page. It should help the welfare of other people. And I love Albert Pine's statement. What we have done for ourselves alone dies with us. What we have done for others and the world remains and is immortal. Number four, your purpose should be bigger than it can take to complete than more than one lifetime. In other words, make it impossible to complete in your lifetime, and you'll be keep you'll keep working through all of your life, no matter how old you are at this moment. And number five, it needs to have some expression of eternal value or worth in it. And this old saying, some people have a thousand reasons why they cannot do what they want to do, 
when all they need is one reason to do it. Hello? All right. Okay. Those are all things that should be helpful in your ego to define whether or not you want to change it. I've preached a sermon like this in all three of the churches that I've been pastor, and then every time after I've preached it, someone's changed their life. I mean, they changed their career. They decided to do what they really loved inside that they always wanted to do. They didn't become a great scientist or anything, but they changed their life to have it be more of an expression for who they believed they were. Okay. Now, quickly, I'm going to take you through centuries. Six major stages in the development of Western civilization and of the God image. The first stage is the animistic stage, animism. This is the primitive psyche's experience of autonomous spirits everywhere, in animals, in trees, in rocks, in rivers, in all of nature, in the experience of the people who were not organized. They were groups of people. They saw life there, and they tried to express it, and we see it on the uh, petrographs in the southeast of cave drawings, and you've seen them, haven't you? Okay. Ruth and Chuck, they've gone off and seen them in the southwest and the cave drawings in France. This is all the beginning of the yearnings of the human spirit that we see. And the God image is shaped in the artistic expression of those early people where they saw the spirits in trees and animals and stuff. That's the first step in us. What's interesting in my life is I find those feelings coming back in my dotage now. As I grow closer to the end, I have these less defined experiences. Uh, Anybody else having things like that? (laughs) Maybe it's a psychotic moment, Richard. I don't know. Okay, then we move to the next step is the matriarchy. This is where the God image is feminized. I happen to have a feminine goddess here in my pocket. This is a small uh, image of a woman. She's holding her breast, and she was a ball in biblical terms or a, a false image. If anybody wants to see it, I'll have it up here after the service. I purchased it in an antique store in uh, England when I went to study at Oxford in 92. It's probably a fake, but I like it because it represents uh, what many of the early people that moved into this, the early Uh, people who started agriculture. And because the people observed that the earth gave us grain, they would put these little, this is the start of farming, they would put these little balls near a a B-A-A-L, a ball. If you read the Old Testament, you will see them 
railing against this because there was only one God, because this was the earth goddess of grain. And so she would return the harvest each spring. And so they would put her out, light a little candle, maybe put some seeds they'd saved from last year around, and that was their prayer to her to bring us a new harvest. And that was a a statement of culture that humans established. The one after that is the uh, hierarchical uh, polytheism. And this is the Greek gods on Mount Olympus where gods, masculine and feminine gods, reigned over things. And what the Greeks did was take human nature and put certain attributes of human nature into a a god to try to explain why we act the way we do. So in Ares, the god of war, they would put all our warrior spirit into that. Or into Athena, they would put how a woman who is a woman of the mind, who enjoys thinking, was born from the brow of Zeus, from the frontal cortex, where we put together plans and and purposes in life, she was born. Athens is named for her because she is a wise goddess. And all the rest of them had all kinds of uh, things, and this is all projections of human nature onto what's going on. And so, why do we act that way? And then so they come up with a story about the gods and goddesses give us these parts of Glorka. Now the next one is tribal monotheism. And this is the stage where the ancient Hebrew culture gives us this radical new idea that there is only one source, one God, one spirit that gives everything. And this starts out, at first it's tribal in that one whole people, the Hebrew people, have been chosen by God. And then Jesus comes along, he he is born in this stage, he comes along and kicks us into the next stage. He is saying that it goes far deeper than that, it is also... God has created each individual, so the relationship with God is just not a people, but it is the individuals within the people. And so the covenant gets shift, is in, enhanced by the covenant with all people and the covenant in Jesus' life with each of us as an individual. You follow that change? Hello out there. You know, it used to be a good symbol for me to stop preaching. Oh, God, that will do it. It's when at least six heads were turned at one time looking at the ocean. 